Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. This one's going to be at breakneck speed because we're continuing our conversations with NDP leadership candidates. But the candidate that we have today is a little bit of a limited time frame. So we have to move super quick. So strap in, everybody, because this is this is going to go. All of that being said, we're very excited to welcome to the show NDP leadership candidate, current MLA for Calgary Mountain View, former MLA for Calgary Buffalo, former Justice Minister and Minister of Aboriginal Affairs. Jinkies, we've got Kathleen Ganley today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being willing to join us to have this conversation. You're technically our, our second, although I would be tempted to say like third, kind of candidate conversation that we've had. Um, so thank you so much for making the time and what I can only imagine is a very busy schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So we're going to get into, I've got five topics that I want to make sure that I, I ask you about. But before we do, I kind of gave the crash course introduction there. How would you, like, I'd, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to the audience. And I'm just going to ask the, the first question, which is, who is Kathleen Ganley? Uh, I'm a mother, a lawyer, and a bit of a nerd. Um, no, I I would say, um, yeah, I am a mom. That's a big part of who I am. Uh, I have a six-year-old daughter. Uh, I, as you mentioned, have been elected to the Legislative Assembly for eight and a half years. I served as the former Justice Minister. I was the energy critic just up until recently. So that's been a very exciting portfolio. Um, and I guess I'm uh, a very philosophical person, kind of a nerdy person. I'm... Um, yeah, I'm really into policy and into making sure that policy works for people. How busy were you as energy critic? Because like I imagine with the the moratorium, you probably had some free time on your hands. Um, yeah. So um, after we came back uh, in 23, uh, the electricity part of the file actually went to Najwa, although I did so um, have some say on that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really busy file. Uh, energy is huge. Um yeah, uh, so many stakeholders to talk to and so many ideas. And there's like, there's just at this moment in time, there is so much opportunity. If we can just uh, find a way to capitalize on that opportunity, we can really grow our economy. So it's a really exciting pile. Cool. Well, we're going to talk about energy, but that's my second point. So I know. Okay. If, if I go out of my list, the rails will come off and we'll end up pontificating on how Swiss cheese is made for 45 minutes or 25 minutes, and I don't think anyone wants that. So one of the big questions that has to be asked is historically, and we've seen it through multiple campaigns now, the NDP has been the party of Rachel Notley. Now, obviously, we got us a leadership race. Rachel Notley is, is stepping down as leader. Um, and so that has called into question to some degree, what does the future of the NDP look like? Some people are speculating that the NDP is going to make a wild dash for the center. Some people have speculated that the NDP is going to make a wild dash for the more lefty left. Um, and there's probably a bunch of arguments for all of those things. But the party's going to be redefined. And so the question that I want to open this up with is how does the NDP get redefined under Kathleen Gantley. Yeah, so I think the first thing to take note of is that we have grown immensely. Uh, I think we can't overstate what Rachel Notley has done. For someone like me who first ran uh, in 2015 when there was kind of like what appeared to be no hope of winning, although that didn't turn out to be the case, um, 
the idea that you could be a progressive in this province and be a viable option uh, is a very new thing. And so that is like incredible progress. Um, I do think that what I would like to uh, change going forward is to have us talk a little bit more about the economy and specifically talk about the economy in our frame. Um, so yeah, there's right now is a very good point for this. Uh, and so people are struggling, right? We have a UCP government that's like, look at us, like we did all the right wing things and now the economy is perfect and everyone's flourishing. That's not the reality on the ground, right? The reality is that people can't afford their rent. People can't get a doctor. Um, people are uh, scared and they're anxious and they feel overwhelmed by the world around them. An average person, like an ordinary person, can't have an ordinary life with like, you know, a house and some kids and everybody having education and a doctor. Uh, so I think that's a really big problem. Um and I think we're like, we're really well placed to address it. I think our policies do a much better job on things like that. I just think we need to um, talk about them a little more and talk to people, not just at them. Well, I mean, you talk about the economy. I'm going to, I'm going to, and, and you definitely alluded to, if not outright stated affordability, one of the big conversations that's been going on. And I want to give you the oppor opportunity to say it definitively in your own words. Uh, one of the big conversations that's been going on has been, the the carbon tax there's there's been some some fascinating yeah. policy moves so for the record kathleen ganley on the carbon tax go yeah so i think you know at the time what we did was we brought together industry experts who were leading we brought together um, ngos we brought together um, environmentalists and government and experts from all over the place um i do think that what we failed to do was bring the public along with us uh so that has created a situation, unfortunately, where what would otherwise be a fairly good economic policy solution has just kind of lost the faith of the public. Um, and so I don't think um, I don't think that that's salvageable at that point. But I don't think that that means we shouldn't do anything on climate change either. So um, you can achieve the same reductions by something like ratcheting tiers, so the industrial carbon price by increasing that. Um, there's a lot of evidence that that will increase the same, that will produce the same reductions. Um, there's also like, if you look south of the border, uh, the IRA in the States is doing a great job at generating both economic activity and investment um, in carbon reduction. So there are a lot of ways, a lot of different policies that can achieve the same objective. And I think that, you know, my my colleagues are right when they say that, you know, the, the carbon tax has kind of lost the faith of the general public. Good answer. I have a I have a feeling I know what podcasts you're listening to after the first part of that answer, because that was a word for word delivery from something I was listening to earlier this week. Oh, interesting. I, I know. Right. Small world. Um, but the other big uh policy platform piece that has come up in the last little while has also had to do with the relationship between the federal NDP and the provincial NDP. So again, I mean, we're leading with all of the big stuff right out of the gates. We have more, don't worry. But what is the the, the Kathleen Ganley position on the relationship between the federal NDP and the Alberta NDP? Should it stay the status quo? Should there be a uh, a change to the obligatory membership or whatever the correct turn of phrase is? Uh, my position is that's a conversation that members uh, deserve to engage in and that members should ultimately decide on. So 
Um, I have heard from a lot of members, you know, right across this province that say that they feel that this is um, the federal party doesn't represent their values and that this is really a drag um, on our ability to win seats in places like Calgary and in rural Alberta and smaller mid-sized cities throughout the province. Um, and I think, you know, we need to listen to those people. I think these are our day-to-day -day volunteers. Um, I also think that some of them um, feel that that, that link um, makes, it doesn't just drag on us politically. Um, it makes a lot of people in their communities, very angry communities that after they go door knocking and they still have to live in, um, and they feel that that kind of makes them feel a little bit unsafe, right? So I think that um, we have to have this conversation with our members. I think that this is a time where we are redefining the party. Um, you know, we will pick a new leader. And I think, you know, if I am that new leader, I will have that conversation. But I think whoever that new leader is, um, our members deserve to be respected and they deserve to be heard. That's how we build a movement. Fair enough. Uh, it's It's safe to assume he said cautiously that any major policy changes like that are things that would be voted on by the membership, but I'm going to push you a little bit. What's your <laughs> personal stance on it? Um, so I actually do believe that the federal party brand has been a bit of a drag on us. Um, and I think people deserve the opportunity to pick for themselves, um, whether they want to be members uh federally or not. Um, I think a lot of people will still choose to be members federally. Um, I have heard from a lot of people who feel very strongly on the other side of this conversation, right? They feel very strongly um, that the federal party does represent their values. Um, it often is put to me in terms of like, we're a family and we want to stay a family. Um, I don't necessarily think that this ends that, right? So I think that Prairie New Democrats, um, whether it's in Manitoba, whether it's in Saskatchewan, um, I don't think that Alberta is the only place that this conversation is occurring. So I don't think that that necessarily means um, that we can't still have some things in common, right? Like we do have some things in common with the federal Democrats. Uh, I just think that sometimes their policy is like quite far from our policy. Fair enough. Let's talk about, I mean, you talked about affordability. I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, housing, but a bigger conversation in regards to the housing. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the houselessness and the homelessness situation. We've certainly seen in Edmonton, the the province uh, and the city have been extremely, some would say, aggressive in regards to tearing down encampments, throwing people's possessions away. Um, and this is still part of the the inevitable conversation on the forced treatment that we keep hearing that is going to be introduced in, in this session. So what are your thoughts and what more, more importantly, what are your solutions for the housing and the hostlessness and the homelessness crisis? Yeah. So I think the first thing um, we need to recognize is that the broader narrative has allowed the UCP to frame this as a conversation about like either you're in favor of encampments or you're in favor of shelter, right? Um, that's not what the conversation should be about. The conversation should be about the fact that five years ago, the UCP basically ended all investment in affordable housing and the very predictable result of that. Um, so I think that we need to keep focused on that. Investment in affordable housing is a big piece of it. Um, that takes a long time. Infrastructure takes a long time to build. In the meantime, we really do need to be looking at potential solutions like rent subsidies, for instance, right? Because there is a lot of very good evidence that if you 
um, let someone, my apologies, cat. I was say, that's got to be a cat. <laughs> if you let someone fall into homelessness, um, it's much more costly, uh, both like in terms of them and their long-term sort of help and their ability to, to integrate. Um, and in terms of like society's investment, it's much better to put in a little bit of money now to keep someone housed in the interim. So, um, you know, this is a problem that's going to take uh, some investment by government. Um, I also think government needs to do a much better job of meeting people where they live, right? So um, coming at someone, taking their stuff away, like yelling at them, not giving them a clear path, like these are not things that are helpful. Um, and so the government should be focused on like, how do we get people access to the services and to the help that we need? And they should be listening to people. People have a very uh, uh, genuine and le legitimate fear of shelter sometimes, right? Because of past experiences that they've had. So if people are having those fears, then the government should be looking at putting in minimum standards. They should be looking at ways to address them. The next extension of that particular conversation has to be the opioid crisis. We have seen some uh, policy from the UCP that is, it's fairly safe to say, not evidence-based. It's not best practice, and it's not in the best interests of, of people who are navigating addiction, the toxic supply. So what are your, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to ask some very specific questions as follow-ups, but what are your broad thoughts on how the province of Alberta should be addressing the opioid crisis and the toxic supply, which are two different things? Um, yeah. So in terms of, um, yeah, so there's a couple of different pieces to this. One is that we do need to increase access to treatment, but we need to increase access to treatment on an evidence-based basis, right? So like my psychology degree is from 2001. At that time, there was a lot of evidence that um, abstinence-only treatment worked for some people in some circumstances, but that only for some people, right? Other people need a different treatment. So um, we need to use that evidence. And it wasn't actually usually even the best treatment, right? So we need to take that evidence and we need to offer people um, different types of solutions. Uh, the government could really stand to stop politicizing this, right? They like insist on um, making it about like, either we save people's lives or we care about public safety. It doesn't need to be an either or conversation. Um, and housing is a piece of this conversation. Housing is a piece of every public safety conversation. Um, even back when I was minister in 15, pretty much every police chief would agree that the best investment you could make in public safety was affordable housing, right? So, um, you know, and people... People can't address their other issues, whether they be addictions or mental health, um, when they're unhoused. So um, that's a couple of pieces. But I do think like we do need harm reduction. Harm reduction needs to be part of our system. Um, did we do that perfectly when we were in government? No, we did not. Um, we were moving very quickly. We were addressing a crisis. Um, and we definitely, you know, if I had it to do over again, would have been implemented a little bit differently than it was. Um, AHS was also a bit, in my view, inflexible sometimes uh, about it, uh, which was not helpful. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of things that can be done, but like, I think what we need to stay focused on is that treatment, housing, things like this, they are not the opposite of enforcement. They actually like help to increase public safety.
Well, I, I, I'm going to drill into that um, at the at the cost of time, but I think it's an interesting question. What what would you have done differently? Um, yeah, so I think um, part of part of the challenge was is that we were um, moving based on opioids, and that was right at the same moment um, that we saw a lot of meth start coming into the province, and the the price dropped precipitously. Um, and that is a it's a very different drug. It has a very different reaction in the system, and so we weren't really prepared. So um, some of the things, and this was, so I represented Calgary Buffalo at the time. So I heard a lot about the Sheldon Schumer. Um, some of the things that I think could have been done differently uh, were like, we needed to think more about security, to think more about location, to think more about like, where were people going to go afterwards? How were they going to transit in and out of the site? Um, how did we make sure um, that things like needle debris, and we did make these moves later on uh, in government to ensure that needle debris was being cleaned up, um, to ensure that people had places to go. We also, at the beginning, didn't do the best job of tracking, like people were being referred to services, but we didn't do the best job of tracking that they were being referred to services, right? So it like made the evidence look different than it was. Um, so those are a couple of things, but like one of the things I heard overwhelmingly from law enforcement um, people was that because there was only one site in the city, it kind of like drew disorder a little bit. So if we had actually dispersed that a little bit more, like if we'd brought in several at once, that might've been better. But again, um, yeah, we were moving quickly to address a crisis, but I think um, in retrospect, uh, yeah, we could have done a little bit more, I think, to ensure that we were um, addressing the legitimate concerns of the people who live in the community. Safe supply. It's the $50,000 question. It's got a lot of evidence backing. And as much as Daniel Smith is trying to say, oh, BC's not working, there's a lot of evidence that says, oh, actually, it's saving a bunch of lives. So what are your, I mean, obviously, this is, again, a policy that would have to be voted on by membership. But what is your personal uh, belief or your personal position on addressing the toxic supply by at the very least when it comes to opioids the meth conversation totally different and i get that and the whole thing is a very nuanced conversation but when it comes to just the opioid stuff given that we're seeing opioids that are mixed with diabetic medications given that we're seeing opioids that are mixed with veterinarian and uh tranquilizers and 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 what are your thoughts on safe supply um, so there are a couple of different models of safe supply. Um, and so I think some of what is in place now and actually has, I think, actually been expanded under the UCP, though they probably wouldn't, uh, they probably wouldn't advertise them very widely, has actually been very good. So like opioid agonists, um, you know, uh, the therapies that they provide right now um, actually are very good. I think potentially that needs to be expanded, but we do have to be really cautious, right? Because there is a genuine um, possibility that uh, when people, um, like if you're if you're giving people supply for like some more extended periods of time, um, that can result in the sale of that supply. And that can uh, mean that other people, like you sort of make the problem broader. I don't think that's a reason not to do it in 100% of cases. I just think the like, in this case, the devil is really in the details uh, and the details really need to be worked out carefully. Um, but yeah, like some of the treatments that we have now, uh, I do, I do think that they're working quite well. Let me rephrase the question a different way. Would a Kathleen Ganley caucus or cabinet 
pursue chasing down those details and, and chasing down the devil in them to, to find more options for people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I'm a big, I'm a big believer um, in evidence-based policy. And I think um, there are ways, you know, there are ways to tackle even complicated problems, right? Like when we did, um, I was in charge of the cannabis legalization for the government of Alberta, uh, which was a complicated file on a short time frame. Uh, and I think we managed to work out the details very, very well. Um, there were some people who said it would turn society into a utopia. There were some people who said that, you know, we would all spiral off into great destruction. As it turns out, none of those people were right. So uh, we landed somewhere in the middle. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, cats and dogs are not living together. It's not mass hysteria. Um, <laughs> I know we only have a couple of minutes left, so I'm going to try to get through these these last little bits quickly. But there is a huge conversation going on in the province right now. And in fact, uh, it's February 21st when we're recording this. Um, we've we've just finished doing a series of episodes about Daniel Smith's new policies that are attacking. I mean, the center of the bullseye is unquestionably trans kids, but the target that surrounds that bullseye is much, much bigger. We're talking about the education system. We're talking about uh, adults' freedom of choice in sports. Like the 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 implications of this thing are, are absolutely huge. So I'm going to start by asking if you could say one thing to Danielle Smith about these policies that she's floating. I mean, she said she's not going to do anything with them until October. Um, we'll see what we see there, but what would you say to Daniel Smith if you could speak to her directly? I would say that a child, their doctor and their parent together have the right to make medical decisions and she is interfering with that right and that that is a big problem. Okay. Um, I'll make it really easy. If she goes with the policies as she's described them, which is probably up for some debate, cough, sovereignty act, cough. Um, would the NDP repeal them? Absolutely. Would we repeal policies that would um, prevent puberty blockers for young people? I mean, again, that's a decision that should occur between a doctor, parent and a child. Uh, no one else needs to be involved in that decision. She's literally, you know, she's framing it as though, this is about the rights of parents, but it's not about the rights of parents. It's about um, her interfering in the rights of a family to make medical decisions. Uh, and that for me is a huge, huge problem. I know there are other aspects to the policies, but most in most cases, she's either creating problems that don't um, you know, really exist. Like for instance, you know, we're gonna give you the right to say no about uh, your child being exposed to sexual health education. Well, I mean, parents already have that right, right? That's a thing that exists already. Um, so that's not a new policy. Um, is this a conversation we need to have with community to bring them along so that people understand? Yes, absolutely. But what Danielle Smith is doing is she's going into those communities and um, deliberately uh, telling them falsehoods uh, and, and creating a situation uh, where none need exist, right? So um, I think we do have to approach those parents um, carefully and caringly to hear, you know, their concerns because their concerns are legitimate because they have been fed um, by Smith. And I think, yeah, I think what she's doing in attacking um, the rights of young people is absolutely abhorrent. I mean, we saw Daniel Smith on a radio show a week and a half ago. Uh, say the quiet part out loud where she said, you know, as long as, as long as kids aren't out, 
we won't have a problem. It's only the kids that, you know, decide to try to live their authentic selves and their lives and be sincere and true to who they are. Yeah, those ones we're totally going to tell the parents, but all of the rest of them, as long as they choose to just deny who they are until they're 18, they won't have a problem. It sends a terrible, terrible message to, to kids. I mean, teenage, being a teenager sucks. There's no question about that. And going through puberty sucks. But when you throw on these complex issues on top of that, uh, it, it only makes things orders of magnitude worse. So what would you say to, I mean, we saw student walkouts. We saw students showing solidarity with everybody else in their schools across the province in no small number. What would you say to, in general, students who are facing these things? But more importantly, I think, what would you say to the kids who are LGBTQ2S+, who are hearing these things and going, what does this mean for me? Yeah, I think what I would say to those kids is there are there are elected representatives, there are people in power who care about you, who want you to be who you are. Um, you you deserve that right and that freedom. Um, and what our current premier is saying about you uh, is is unfair and untrue. Anything else that you want to add to the to the trans? uh policies that daniel smith has put forward there's there's some people who have said that they have very real concerns that this is and and people in the medical profession no less who have said that they have very real concerns that this is a first step towards attacking uh women's rights to access health care uh, uh you know the big a word I mean, people are concerned that this is, this is smith's proxy way of coming after abortion or at least opening the door for other groups to do that any other thoughts on that that you want to expand on before i try to squeeze in my last couple of points here yeah, I just think um, I think that this is Smith not protecting rights, but attacking rights. Uh, and I'm, yeah, very disappointed. And I um, wouldn't be totally surprised if we saw more of it. I mean, there's a lot of people who have speculated that Daniel Smith's motivation for doing this. We've heard from Dr. Christopher Wells. We've heard from Dr. Dwayne Bratt. They've all said this is completely out of character with who they believe Daniel Smith is. And there's a lot of people who are saying, well, this is Take Back Alberta. This is David Parker holding a political gun to her head. What are your thoughts on the the conversation that Take Back Alberta is trying to lead and their their threats towards these marginalized communities or these vulnerable communities, as well as their commitment that they're going to uh, try to upend the NDP leadership race. And certainly they're making an effort, a concerted and organized effort to come for school boards in the next municipal election. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge concern. Like uh, Take Back Alberta has way too large a share of power in our current government. Uh, it's extremely problematic. It's extremely dangerous. It's not good for anyone. And what makes it even worse is while they're focused on attacking the rights of young people on sovereignty attacks that don't do any on sovereignty acts that do anything, there are real and legitimate problems. We have a real and legitimate crisis in our healthcare system. You know, people don't have access to a family doctor. Uh, they don't know if an ambulance will turn up when they call one. Uh, if they go to the ER, they're waiting for a really long time. Some some women are having to drive on the highway for two hours while they're in labor. Um, this is a real problem. Like we have real problems in this province and our government, rather than being focused on all this nonsense, should be focused on solving those problems. I got two more and then I'll let you go. I'm going to try to milk this for everything that I can. Sorry, I'm long winded. <laughs> no, that's good. As long as you're as long. I really appreciate the fact that we're already kind of squeaking past the time that, that you committed to. So I really appreciate that. Um, 
the the two other questions pretty straightforward i asked uh sarah hoffman the same question so i'm going to ask you the same question there are to date three leadership candidates in the ndp leadership race there is a speculative fourth very polarizing figure that a lot of people are the the, the whisper campaigns are, are are running hot one of the big questions is should if Head and she decides that he wants to throw his hat into the leadership. Should the party give him an exemption? Sarah gave a very Sarah Hoffman, the honorable Sarah Hoffman. I get too familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very, very clear on her position. So I'm curious, do you think if Nahed and she was to say, you know what, I'm going to try to get the, that exemption. Do you think he should get it? Do you think he should not? What's your stance on that? Um, Yeah, so I think the point of this is to grow the party. I think anyone who wants to join in and throw their hat in the ring should be welcome. Uh, And so I I would hope to see him uh, throw his hat in the ring. That being said, I'll tell you what I told him, which is I intend to run and I intend to win. Perfect. That's an excellent answer. Um, Before I ask my final question, any other thoughts that you want to share? Anything else that you want people to hear? Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, What would I like people to hear most? I guess uh, that, you know, you have a government right now that isn't focused on you, that isn't focused on the real issues, that isn't focused on the real problems that uh, face Albertans. Um, You know, as NDP leader, that is what I would focus on. I would focus on um, providing you that the healthcare that you deserve, uh, making sure that the economy works for everyone um, and ensuring that every child has access to an education. My last question. There's a debate as to whether or not I should ask this one, but the team decided that uh, that I should. It's going to be a little bit of a curveball here. Can you name off the top of your head, no Googling allowed, all five members of the Scoobies? I cannot. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I got I got one or two, but that's it. <laughs> what are the one or two that you have? Um, uh, Scooby, Scrappy. Uh, that's pretty much it. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm going to include Scrappy. I was, I was just going for like the core group of like, Fred, Velma, Daphne, Scooby, and Shaggy. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I'm not that type of... If you had asked me the crew of the Starship Enterprise D, I could have listed you everything, but uh, okay. not on... <laughs> that's, that's next generation, right? Yes, it is. Yes, okay, it cool. Is. Cool, cool. I, uh, could you name all the red shirts? All the red shirts in the entire series? <laughs> No, that's, that's a level of trivia even I cannot tell. Here we go. Um... <laughs> honorable Kathleen Ganley because you were a minister so you got the honorific for life as well I want to thank you so much for taking I the did time. top priority of the Kenny government while people were unable to pay their rent but yeah there you go <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to chat I really do appreciate it and I know that we pushed you past your time but I really do uh, want to say thank you and I also I said this to Sarah so I'm going to say this to you as well I know that there are some folks in the NDP who have not liked some of the the jokes and acerbic commentary that we've offered up over the years I respect the hell out of the fact that you're still willing to to step up and have the conversation because over here at The Breakdown, we believe that we need to have more conversations, not less of them. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us tonight. I could not agree more. More conversations, not less. Thank you so much. And that's it for another episode of The Breakdown. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here, we would love nothing more than if you thought about signing up to be one of our Patreon sponsors at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab, where for just the price of a fancy cup of coffee a month, you can help us continue to produce this kind of content. 
whether you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, in which case maybe leave a, a, a review and a rating, or whether you're watching it on one of our streaming platforms, we want to say a big thank you to everybody who is part of the Breakdowns audience. And as always, take care of each other and keep the conversation going.